the, the, actually, this is the message that, that kind of started the whole vintage faith thought process for me. Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament scriptures, and, and I started to think, man, there are, in church, and I, and I say, say this every week with the vintage faith one, is that when we look at old things, sometimes we think new is better, new is better, new is better. But uh, if, if you listen to music, you know there's nothing better than throwing something on a record player and hearing that vinyl, right? Um, you know, I, I love Christmas. We, uh, I have like four or five different Christmas albums that I just love uh, putting on and hearing that 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 the crackle of the vintage, the fireplaces going, the lights are on. Who's ready for Christmas, amen? Um, <laughs> my wife is probably like ready to get the Christmas trees out. Um, I, I love every now and then, like uh, I'll just go take one of my records and put it on and just, you know, I love just sitting in a room and just just listening to that, that crackle and that vintage sound. Vintage vehicles, right? There's, you know, you can make all the new trucks all, uh, all you want. There's something about, you see like a 1950s, look, I'll even look at a Chevy at, at, from the 50s and go, man, that's a nice looking vehicle, okay? Now, anything, eh, I'm a Ford guy, so, uh, you know, so exactly, don't hate, listen, we're not going to start a church war, uh, war but, uh, um, but there's just something about it, that vintage look, you go, man, I mean, isn't it crazy, like, I think about it this way, like, we were in South Carolina a couple of years ago for an, uh, a conference, me and Stephanie, and we went down to downtown Charleston, South Carolina. So, you know, one of the original cities. There's so much history. We love history. And you walk down that, that, the cobblestone streets that are hundreds of years old. And I'm like, you could take a car straight down there. It's, it, it's never had any work. In Camden, they pave something in five, month, five weeks that's going to have a pothole. Okay? It's just the way that the difference between old school and modern, you know, you look at the, look at the temples and, and, and the pyramids and you go, and how in the world did they build those by hand? Like, that's crazy. And they're still standing around and we've got buildings that, you know, are built 30 years and they start to uh, be, you know, dilapidated and, and roofs, you know, you got to change roofs every 30 years. And vi- something about that vintage feel. And when you look at the Bible, and a lot of people say, well, how do we know that the Bible is real? How do we know that the truth is real? How do we know that, that, this, that this old written text has any real meaning and purpose for us today? I think of the age-old biblical question, does the New Testament override the Old Testament? We talked a little bit about this last week, and, um, you know, well, we're a New Testament church. I, I don't quite, I mean, I understand what that means, but I don't know how when, when, and this is the thing that I've always come to the, where I sit on is when somebody says they're a New Testament church, what does that mean? That the church is following the ways of the New Testament church, the way it was set up in Acts and Romans and all of that with Paul. But if you realize when Paul says meditate on the scriptures, what scriptures is he talking about? Because the New Testament scriptures weren't written yet. He's talking about Old Testament scriptures. So even though Paul is setting up this functional new church with Jesus as the, as the head, as the savior, what he's saying is, hey, look, let's not forsake the fact that these, these scriptures that were written long ago, these scriptures that, that have been passed down from, from generation to generation, there's still these importance. And so uh, if you ever wonder, where do we sit with that? I believe that the whole Bible is the truth. Nothing but the whole Bible is the truth. You cannot cherry pick. You can't go, well, I'm a New Testament believer. You, you, may, you may fall under the covenant of New Testament Jesus Christ, but the Old Testament is still so valuable. 
and so purposeful in our life. And I said this last week that no, we don't have to, uh, we're not bound by, and, and actually um, it's not in the message today, but I was, when I was studying for the message today, reading some of Paul's messages where he says, uh, where he talks about the law, and he says, anyone that abides fully by the Old Testament law is bound by those laws. So if, if you say, I'm an Old Testament, you know, we need to go back to an eye for an eye, well, then you also better not wear any mixed blended clothing, and you better make sure that you're reading specifically how your hair should or should not be. Um, matter of fact, you, you better leave this church because we don't have a holy of holies and find a priest that's willing to kill a bull to roll your sins forward. Because Paul says that if you abide only by the Old Testament law, then you are bound by only the Old Testament law, which has a lot of do's and don'ts and a lot of things that you have to specifically do, including, by the way, um, uh, converting over to Judaism because Christianity wasn't around yet, right? Now, does the New Testament negate that? No. The New Testament, though, puts skin to it. It puts heart to it. Matter of fact, I'm gonna show you in the Old Testament where it was always God's heart and always God's plan and always God's purpose for, not, for us to not look at laws as bound by stone, but always to be written on the heart of our lives, okay? We make it harder than we ought to following, following God. I, I, I truly, listen, I wholeheartedly truly believe this. Um, and I think it's part of our humanity, because are we doing it right? Are we doing it good enough? Are we doing this? And God makes it really, really simple. And we say, well, what, what, about, what about this thing? The Bible says this, and I'm not doing this, so what, am, I, am I not really a believer? How many have ever heard that? You know, well, I read this in the Bible, so am I really not a believer yet? Well, I, I, I haven't experienced this, so do I not have the Holy Spirit in my life? And we make it really, really difficult to try to understand a God who wants to make it really, really simple. Now, are there deep things in God? 100%. I believe that for the rest of your life, if you spent from wherever age you are now to the end of your life, you would constantly find new revelation from Jesus and, and from God himself and from the Holy Spirit in the word of God because you go through different scenarios. You're different ages. When, when I read the Bible as a father now, it's different. And if you're a dad in the room, you get that. When you read about a father's heart, if you don't have a kid, you have, like, you, you have this idea of what kind of father you want to be but when you read it as a father, you're like, oh, I understand that I can be upset with my kid and still love them, that, that, that I, can, I can discipline not in anger, but in, in caring and, and, in, and in purpose. And, and because, you know, as a teenager, right, you go, my parents always are trying to get in my way. My parents are always trying to bring me down. My parents are always trying to this. And you don't realize until later in life that they they cared for you. Now, like me and Stephanie, like we, we find ourselves eating our words as parents, you know, and I think everybody does it. You never want to become your parents until you become your parents and you realize why they were they were. And then you start saying, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you. Hey, what? Get it off me, right? <laughs> like, where did this come from, this parenting thing? Get it, ugh. Because there's a heart behind parenting that you don't get until you're there. And there's a heart behind being a Christian that you don't understand until you get there. That it's not just laws and rules and pa uh, words on paper, but there's, a, there's skin to it. There's purpose behind it. So to get to one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament, Micah 6. 
uh, Micah 6, 8 is, is like, I love, 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 love. But you got to kind of like read 6 and 7 to kind of make it make sense a little bit or to give a little bit of depth to it, okay? So we're going to read Micah 6, 6 through 8. And then we're going to read a really long scripture in, uh, in Exodus. And then we're going to read a shorter scripture in Matthew, and then I'm going to give you two points, okay? So Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So you see what Micah is setting up here. He's saying, what pleases God? What, what, what offerings, what uh, sacrifices can I make to God that will, will please him? And I love what 6, 8 says. Is he says, this is the, the prophet Micah telling the Israelites, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. I love that, that, that thought process that Micah says. What does the Lord require of you? Does it, how many knows that God enjoys sacrifice? I wholeheartedly believe he enjoys the sacrifices of our lives and our hearts towards him to say, I am trusting you to follow you and to give to you. But I don't think that, that when Micah speaks this, he's saying, listen, you can do all sorts of sacrifices and not be in a place where you are truly following after God. You're just going through the motions. Well, I'm sacrificing my time to read the word, but what are you getting out of it? I'm sacrificing my time to pray. Yeah, but are you talking to him? I'm sacrificing my time to go to church, but are you thinking about your shopping list and your to-do list and, and what you need to get done for the week? Or... Are you being obedient in the, what he's required you to do? Is not just checking the boxes, but living the life. Not just looking the part. Look, I love, I love Jesus because he, he didn't throw any punches. I think, we, you know, I've said this before. We look at Jesus and we, we see him as this care, kind, loving, you know, skipping through the, the roses, Jesus, right? But yet Jesus looked at the religious leaders of the time. It would be like calling all the pastors of Camden together. And he looks at them and says, you whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look so pretty on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones and you stink. Like those are powerful words. Why? Because the, 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 the Israel leaders, the Jewish leaders, the, the, the synagogue leaders were more uh, about looking the part than living the part. Oh, they'd, they'd settle all sorts of things to, on your life to make you, make you struggle with following God so that they could look elite, so that they could look powerful, so they could look like they've got it all together. And can I tell you right now that any, any leader that thinks that they can look, at, uh, look the part and have it all together, they're the first ones lying to their congregation. I'm a failed man like anybody else, and I will make mistakes. But I don't want God to say of me, you whitewashed tomb, you try to look apart when inside you've got dead man's bones. I, I want to live Micah 6:8 out that says that I want to love justice, I want to love kindness, and I want to walk with my God, not because there's a bunch of rules that say I have to, but because I know what God has done in my life. 
From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the scripture speaks of this thought process. Think about it, even in the garden, God tells Adam and Eve, you can have all the freedom you want. Just don't eat of these two trees. And what do we focus on in that story? Don't eat of these two trees. We never talk about all the freedom that Adam and Eve had. Could you imagine this this perfect garden, this perfect place that God has designed for you? It's got fruits probably that we don't even know of. It's got animals and, and all this stuff for you to enjoy. And we focus on the sin of Adam and Eve and the things that they couldn't have when we go see, even from the beginning, God had rules. Even from the beginning, God had freedom. What if we flip the thought process? Instead of focusing on all the rules and all the things that we can't do and all the things that that God asks of us to sacrifice, what if we go, what about all the freedoms that God gives us when we choose to live for him? Since the beginning of time. And that is the story of what Mike is saying. When you stop focusing on all the things you have to do to sacrifice, you will sacrifice out of obedience when you fully follow God. I sacrifice things every day to live my life for Christ, and I don't wake up every day and go, okay, Scott, here's the checklist. We can't cuss. Cussing's bad. Okay. We're not going to be negative, and we're not going we're to uh, say bad things to people because yeah, that's bad too, okay? Um, uh, let's see. We're, uh, let's see. Okay, what else are we? Oh, you know what? We're, we're not going to go to the store and steal stuff. Okay, checklist. Don't, don't do bad things. But I wake up every day, and I say, God, how, how can I live for you better today? I've got freedom. I, I go to work, and I enjoy life, and I have fun, and I goof around. And at the same time, I live a way that people look at my life, and they go, you know what? There's something different about you. There's something about the way you talk. And, and it becomes a, 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 a benefit, but it also becomes a challenge, right? Because I want to, to live that way to cause people to see the change. And it'll encourage you and it'll challenge you because I, I'll know when, when there's days where I have a bad day, when I'm negative, when I think badly of people that I'm, I'm writing warrants for, huh? um, and, and my captain will go, ah, don't, don't do that. Don't become like us, <laughs> you know, like, because I've lived in a way that I put God first, that I want to live in his freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have bad days. We all have bad days. We all have bad seasons. Amen. Bad seasons doesn't mean a bad God. It just means that you're walking through something and a couple of things happen in those bad seasons. Either he's wanting to teach you something. Hello, Israelites. The enemy's after you, okay? And when I talked about faith, a lot of times we stop believing just at the moment where God is on the other side of your miracle, on the other side of your breakthrough. I've been through seasons where I'm like, God, where are you? Why are you taking me through hell? Because you can't, take, you can't get into the next season until you trust me through this season. When, when we first got our very first full-time position as youth pastors, I was 21 years old. Six months into that position, the pastor that hired me left to start an uh, orphanage in Mexico. He was like 70 years old. It was ridiculous. He's amazing. Um, I hope I'm like that. I hope I'm 70, still dreaming, okay? And... Um, 
the, the associate pastor that came in, he had never been a senior pastor. He was also in his 60s. I was the youngest pastor on staff by 21 years, okay? The next youngest uh, pastor was the worship pastor. He was 42 years old, which felt so old now, but it's still, now it's so young in my world. <laughs> Don't laugh. Um, uh, so 21, I was young and excited, and yet, I got like tampered down real quick because it was don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. I got in trouble for being on MySpace, and I've told that story before where I got suspended for, uh, from the church, suspended from the church for a week. Um, couldn't, go to, couldn't go to church on Sunday. <laughs> I'm a paid pastor on staff. Don't come to church because you're on MySpace. Um, and, so, uh, and so I'm walking, and I remember going home that week absolutely depleted in my faith. God, why would you call me here to go through that? To sit under these religious-minded, crazy people. And they were. They called me in a meeting one day uh, right after that, and they said, they said, well, you need to take down this MySpace. I'm like, I don't have that kind of power to take down MySpace. It's like asking to take down Facebook today. Like, you, you, I can't take down the whole Facebook I don't even know how to get rid of my own, my, my MySpace is still in existence. I checked it a, like a year ago, okay? Tom's probably still my top friend, okay? Some of you are going, what? Uh, young people are like, go Google MySpace, okay? I think Justin Timberlake owns it now. Yes. Um, and so, but, but I remember, and, and listen, was I petty? Oh, I was petty. I was real petty. Let me tell you how petty your pastor was in this moment. I created this because the kids were already there. I wanted to meet them where they were. So I create this MySpace for the youth ministry, not a personal one, for the youth ministry. And I put a picture of our group when we went to a conference. Later that night, one of the fathers knocks on my home door. I open up, he's beat red, he's shaking. I'm kid you not. I don't, well, listen, we made peanuts in California. I did not have internet at my house. I open the door and he's all, get my kids off that internet. Whoa, calm down, boy. I, I don't know how to do that. Your kids are already on it. Like, that's what I wanted to tell him. Your kids are already there. Both of your kids are already on MySpace. Maybe you should start there. But I was like 22 and I didn't really want to pick that fight. So I said, fine, you know what? So I, so I left my house that night, went to my office, and I blacked his kids' faces out. <laughs> Petty! Petty. I went home, <laughs> left it like that for the whole evening. And I went home and I was praying and I was, I was upset. I was like, how dare he do that? Da, 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 da. I go home and I start praying and God's like, I'm not upset with the fact that you're on MySpace, but I'm upset with the way that you responded. <sighs> okay. So the next morning when I went into my office, I changed it to our, our youth group logo and then from there, it just, it just snowballed, and I got suspended for a week, and blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing. If I didn't go through those three years where I'm wondering why I'm there, why would you put me here where, where I feel like the leadership doesn't understand what it means to, to, to love teenagers and to lead where they're at, not try to... They, listen, they, they, I kid you not, in the, in the meeting with the elder board, they said, how about this? Why don't you go deliver uh, letters in the mail to them? We'll pay for your gas. I said, are you kidding me? Emotional damage. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are ridiculous right now. 
absolutely ridiculous. Like, why don't we just get pigeon birds and send little things to them? I said, have any of you asked like the, the question of how their MySpaces have looked since I've been on there and been able to challenge them and encourage them? Hey, why is your top song this rap song that's all sorts of filth? Or see when they comment on something and they look down and I'm able to comment and, and give them a verse or, or, or to pray for them on MySpace? See, none of y'all wanna look at that, but y'all wanna look at all the ways that it's bad because there's ads, but your kids are already there. If I wouldn't have gone through the three years at that church, I wouldn't have been ready for the next 10 at the next church. The season that you're in that you may not like may be preparing you for what God has for you. And if you try to get out too early, you won't be set up for success for the next season. So I'm telling you, when Micah says to walk humbly with God, to, to love kindness and to do justice, it's because he knows that in whatever season you're in, if you follow that, that, that equation, that it's gonna set you up for the next season that may be harder and it may be a blessing. The enemy gets us to focus and worry on whatever we can't do, but God wants to show us the freedom. So I, wanna, I want you to look at Exodus 23 through 17. I know it's a little long, it really is not as long as you think because there's a lot of short scriptures. But it says this, and you're gonna understand what this is in just a minute. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord of your God in vain, for the Lord will not, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters, your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that, your, uh, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. The Ten Commandments. I mean, you go, why did you just read us that? Because every one of those commandments is found in Micah 6.8. When you look at the Ten Commandments, they're broken up. The first part is all about God. Walk humbly with him. Honor him. Love him. Put him first. No other gods. Don't make images. And you may go, well, I don't have any images that are God, okay? Uh, what do you put before him? A sport? A job? A relationship? What, what is it? Because everybody in life at some point puts something before God, even if they don't want to, even if they don't mean to. And it's a constant check. We, we, it's not just a one-time thing. Well, God, I don't want to put anything in front of you. I want you to be my God and I want to serve you because here's the thing. We get in a natural movement of life and then things get important. And it's not that we don't have things that are important in our life. My family is extremely important, but they come secondary to God. I love sports, comes secondary to a lot of things, okay? 
I like going on vacations, but I'm not going to put that before God and my family. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy other people's company, but if it comes at the detriment of who I am as a Christian, I'm not going to go somewhere and hang out with people. And so the question becomes, what am I putting before God? What, what gets my time, right? It's this idea that I want to walk with God, not just do the right things. And then the second half of the Ten Commandments is all this, this active stuff, this action. Don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, don't, don't do all these things, right? And, and that's the do justice, love kindness. When we do these three things, God we're, we're walking within the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament. We're walking within the freedom, Adam and Eve. You see this Old Testament truth of God speaking. By the way, Micah 6 is Old Testament. He's speaking about New Testament beliefs that Jesus will lay out. If you don't believe me, let's go to Matthew. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, this is the, uh, the uh, Jewish rabbis, right? They're, they're questioning Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Commandment one, two, three, and four. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Look at what he says. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's Micah 6, 8. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength to walk humbly with God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor like you love yourself, to love kindness and to do justice. This same message is written throughout all of the Bible, the same truth from Adam and Eve all the way through the New Testament, the same truth of walk with God, with a relationship with God, not just a checkpoint, and then to do, to live, to be the person that God has called you to be in front of people. It's simple and yet hard. It's simple because this is what the Lord requires of you. It's hard because it's daily an active growth process. I've said this before. What's one per- how can you become 1% better in following Jesus today than you were tomorrow, than you were yesterday? And then tomorrow, how can I be 1% better than I was? If you, if you go to bed and you're like, oh man, I screwed up. I shouldn't have said that to my wife. Or I shouldn't have said that to my boss. Or I shouldn't have acted like this. Or, ah, oh, man, I, I wasted some of my time when I, when I could have been doing something better then what's 1% that you could do today and go, okay, God, I'm gonna make sure that I focus on being like this because I know that in my heart and in my soul, this is what you long for me to be. Both of those scriptures, Matthew and Exodus, lead to the same truth found in Micah, that God wants a relationship with you founded on our desire to know him and the action that comes from the faith walk. So my, my two points I've been talking about all morning, they're, they're not a surprise. The first one is walk humbly with God. Your walk with God cannot just be found and bound in requirements, but a balance between obedience and self-discipline and purpose and passion. How many OCD folks do I have in the room? Whoop, whoop, right? That's not me. Okay, it's not who I am. Okay? You are bound 
Tell me I'm not wrong. You're bound by your list. You're bound by it. Listen, I can't do B until A is done. Okay? Now listen, don't look around. Don't, don't call people out. I'm going to look up at the lights and get blinded, okay? Um, but, but isn't it true? Your personality is like, I've got to. And so when you look at Jesus, you're like, okay, Jesus, I need a checklist. Okay, uh, uh, salvation, ABCs of uh, prayers. Okay, uh, Jesus, you died on the cross. You forgave me of my sins. I'm going to follow you. Okay, now what's next? Let's go. Checklist. Check salvation off. Okay, what's next? And he's going, no, 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 no. The Bible says work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. Salvation isn't a one-time thing. It's not just a prayer that we pray. It's, it's something we go back to. And so, so, so you, you, you list writers and, and detailed people, the frustration becomes is you're like, you're constantly looking for progress through a checklist. And God is saying, listen, sometimes progress means pausing and circling back. Right? Revelation. Go back to the, where you first fell in love with Jesus. It's not that the progress is stopped in the checklist. It's that you put a pause and you go, I've got to go back to the beginning where I first fell in love with Jesus. It doesn't mean that the checklist starts all over. It's I've got to be reminded of who Jesus is. And when I do that, then he's going to show me the next step. And it may be coming back to where I was because I fell in love. And I've grown in this time, right? I've grown in these five years. I've grown in this, these three months. And so I circle back and I remember who God was. And it's not that I have to start the whole process over. It just means that I had to circle back and remember so that he could take me to that next level. It's not a checklist. You carefree, free-flowing people that mess up OCD people's world? That's me. Um, listen, you hate us. I get it. My assistant in California literally thought that I hated her. We have the greatest relationship now. Bob and Tammy are, are some of our greatest friends. She thought I hated her for the first two years. Why? Because I would walk in on a Wednesday night, youth night, sit at my office. She'd come in. We'd already talked about youth. She knew exactly what we had to do. She's OCD. She's detailed. She kept us going. All right, here's, here's where we got to go. A, B, and C. Yeah, you know what? I was thinking about that last night. Scott, I know. Just go with it. I don't go with it. She thought I hated her. Because I would always constantly mess up her vibe of, we already talked about this. I'm like, I know, but God gave me this amazing idea for youth tonight. Now, our challenge is to realize that self-discipline isn't God disliking us. But it's keeping us in line with his will and not trying to get ahead of him. To slow down and, and, and to say, hey, wait a minute, am I running ahead of God? Or, or am I, am I, you know, sometimes my ducks aren't even in the pond, let alone in a row. In a row. I'm chasing ducks and God's going, listen, come, come here, come. Listen, we got to get a little self-discipline here. And so both sides, they have their purpose. And it's learning that I'm not bound by the letter, just the letters of the law, but the heart of the law. Read Psalms all the time. David is saying, write your scriptures on my heart meditate on it day and night so that my heart, it, listen, I guarantee if you, if you do a, a, a Bible search through version and just put in um, heart and uh, scripture, you're going to find so many scriptures that talk about write your scriptures on the, on the heart. One of my favorite in Jeremiah says that, that I, I found your words and I ate them and they were sweet like honey. 
not bound, not, not hated them. I, I found God's words, and they were sweet like honey. To walk humbly with God is to find that balance between obedience and self-discipline and desire. I desire to follow you. It is falling in love with God, causing us to want to walk his ways. And there's so many scriptures about that, about I want to fall in love with God and I want to follow him. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make mistakes. Do, do, do we tell our kids, sorry, you're no longer a part of the family when you make a mistake? <laughs> Sometimes. Actually, that's, it, listen, it's true as they get older, okay? But 18 and under, eh, listen, it's kind of illegal if you just kick them out. Um, but that's the point, right? We've got these kids for a certain time. And as my kids get older, I, I start to realize that last night was a homecoming, it seemed, for the whole nation. Because I had friends in Washington State and California and Idaho, and then here, all of them were sending their kids off to homecoming. I think it's a national plan. <laughs> They're all sending their kids, and I'm thinking, how did I get here? I even put that on my Facebook. How did we get here? I still have contact with my own teenagers that were in my youth ministry that I still see them as 17 and 18. And they're like married with kids now. And I'm just going, how did, how do we get here? How? Oh, Jesus. Shh. Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> how do we get here? Because in two short years, my, my daughter will be graduated and, and moving on in a season of her life where I, I don't have the ultimate say, unless she still lives in my house and she still has all the boundaries that are written if she wants to live in my house. By the way, parents, as long as it's your house, it's still your rules, okay? <laughs> hey, what is the Ten Commandments? Honor your mother, your father and mother so that you will have a long life. You want to have a short life? Don't honor your mom and dad. Okay, so, so listen, when you heard the saying as a, as a child, I made you and I can take you out of it, they were screaming scripture. Because the Bible said, if you want a long life, honor them. If you want a short life, disrespect them and watch them knock you back into the future. <laughs> How are we going to grow the church? Um, but we walk humbly with him. Because God loves us as his caring children. And so when we walk with him, it's not that when we make a mistake, he goes, oh, you made your mistakes. Sean, you're out. He says, hey, you made your mistakes. Now you've got a choice. Repent and let's go or stay in your sin, but it's your choice. As a loving father, I want to walk with you, but it's your choice, prodigal son. It's your choice to, to sit and eat with the pigs or to come back home to the king's table. It's your choice. So walking humbly with God is, is that idea that it's not that God is saying bad, bad, bad. He's saying, hey, look, let's walk through life together. I have a desire for you to be the best version of yourself through me. But you can only do that when you walk with me. And the second part is this, and I, and I put it this way. This is where we're going to end. Matter of fact, Hannah, you can come up. Be Jesus' rep to the world. Be Jesus' rep to the world. Love justice. Love kindness. When you do those things, when you actively live those things out, you are repping Jesus to a world that knows nothing about him. 
And can I tell you right now in, in culture, there is a massive culture war with what the world is saying and, and what is confronting biblical truth. And, and, and can I tell you that we have two options? We can look and act like the bigots they think we are, or we can show them God's truth and love. Because one says, I hate you because you are opposite of God's word. But wouldn't that have been said about us when we were not following Jesus? And yet God's word says that he longs that none should perish. It says, love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. And so we could sit there and we can harp on the fact that sinners are sinning. I mean, really, does that shock anybody? When you did not know Jesus, did you really care if you were sinning? No. You were living your life, doing your thing. It was not until Jesus enters your life and he says, everything that you were chasing, you were really chasing me. You just didn't know it. We're not going to draw people to Jesus by telling them about their sin. They don't care. We're telling them that God hates them, which is an absolute lie. He hates them in the form of their life that they're in right now. That's scriptural. The Bible says in, in, in the book of Psalms that God hates those who rebel. He didn't say he hated rebellion. He said he hates those who rebel. So in the state where we sin and we knowingly want to live far from God, in that state, he, he, he despises us. But he loves who he created. And when we go, I no longer want to rebel, he opens us back, he opens us into the family with loving arms and then walks with us as we get corrected. So how can we treat a world that God created with hate and disdain when the creator created them. We need to live out that love and, and, and that truth. Truth is loving. It's okay to, to say to somebody, nope, this is a sin and, and this is how I see it. People ask me all the time, how do you think about homosexuality? I, I don't know why that's the first thing people want to ask me when it comes to being a pastor. It's like we have the trademark on it. And I tell them the same way that I do about people that are living in sin outside of marriage. Or the same as the, the, the addicted drug uh, abuser. Or the person that walks through my door and gossips every week. Or the guy who is secretly uh, addicted to uh, pornography on the computer. I'll give them the same way. Somebody who may be far from God, who needs to be close to God, and the only way that they're going to do that is if I show them an authentic God. And not tell them how bad they are. How horrible they are. What if they show up at your church? I hope so. You can, you can hear it from me now. By the way, we've, we've had people that live alternative lifestyles walk through these doors. You didn't know it. They didn't, you didn't catch it. No, no more than, than the alcoholic walks in through the door. You don't catch that. Or the, or the, the, the people that are walking through a, a tough marriage time we want them to come in and get healed, but then when somebody who, who their lifestyle doesn't mesh with ours, we go, oh, 
all are welcome. If you don't like it, find another church. But I think you're here because you know that. I think you're here because you realize and recognize that we're going to rep Jesus even if it doesn't look kosher to the church culture. I want to teach us and I want to lead us in a way where we show Jesus to the world, even if it goes against everything that we've thought or believe or been told in every other church. We are going to love people right where they're at. We're going to accept them, okay, hear me, accept them as a human being while at the same time speaking truth to whatever it is in their life that is opposing God. And then they get to choose if they want to follow Jesus or not. That's our job. And repping Jesus isn't the SWAT team mentality where you kick doors down and force people to follow Jesus. It is simply living in a way and offering that opportunity when the time is given. I'll end with this scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? Ah, that should make us feel excited. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciles us to him and then he says our job is to be an extension of him and go show other people reconciliation. In other words, forgiveness. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are an ambassador of Christ. If you choose and you say openly, I follow Jesus, then you cannot sit silently with your life while other people keep living their life far from God. Now, that doesn't mean that you go around with an open Bible and and, and preaching to everybody that walks in. If that's what God calls you to, by all means, do it. But maybe it is that God says, hey, listen, Mr. Negative Nancy, I need you to change your attitude around people so that they can see the joy of the Lord. Hey, instead of blaming your spouse for everything, maybe you should start loving them for the things that they do well and watch them change. Maybe you're sick of your boss treating you a certain way. Maybe the goal is then maybe change who you are as a worker to show them. All of these are being ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us daily. What does that look like in your daily life? What do you, do you, and let me ask you this, do you really even care? Do you, do you care to, to be the hands and feet and to be the ambassador for Jesus? When you think about that, I think about when, when we send people from America to other countries as ambassadors. They don't get to put on their own personality. They don't get to be whoever they want to be. They go on behalf of a country, and so therefore they have to stand before those countries, and they have to represent on behalf of whoever sent them. So you don't get to just choose and live however you want. You can be your own personality, and I think that's where we get it twisted. Sean loves Jesus just like I love Jesus. We look different. 
but we rep the same God. And he's going to reach people that I never can, and I'm going to reach people that he never could. Vice versa to everybody, everyone in here. What if we woke up tomorrow and said, God, not, oh, it's Monday. It's Monday. And no matter what I'm facing, whether, whether it's a free day to do whatever I want or I've got a nine to five where I've got to go do this, I'm going to do everything I can to show the world this Jesus that I love. And it may be as simple as opening a door. It may be as simple as, as tipping well at lunch. It may be as, as simple as saying, God bless somebody or, or you see somebody down, hey, do you need to talk? Or can I pray for you? But every day we're given opportunities to rep Jesus to this world. Walk humbly with God. Do justice. Watching injustice happen is just as bad as being the injustice. One of my favorite quotes is, all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Well, it's not my place. It's not your place to watch somebody get tore down. It's not your place to watch injustice happen and step in. I, I beg to differ. And to see injustice is just as bad as turning a blind eye and, not, and, and doing it yourself. So don't be afraid to speak up. What if, what if it costs me my job? What if it costs you your job? What if it costs me friendships? What if it costs you friendships? When I came to know Jesus, I lost every friend I had. Every single friend I had. I went from having a friend group to having absolutely nobody just for simply following Jesus. I got made fun of at school. I got picked on, called names. And it would have been really, really easy just to say, well, this isn't worth it. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. All of that other stuff, it'll work itself out. Because I was so glad to leave the friends that I thought I needed for the friends that God was preparing for me. By the way, one of them I married. I think it worked in my favor. But do you think 14-year-old me thought of that? God, why am I losing friends? I choose you and I lose everything. And some of you can sit there today and say that saying, God, I, I'm trying to do it right. And yet here's, I have this, I have this struggle. Or I have this hurt. Or I have this pain. Or I, 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 I'm always constantly worried about this. And, and God is saying, stick with me in your season. Stick with me. Walk humbly with me. And then live it out. Walk humbly with me. Then live it out. Stick with me. Pray with me. Maybe that's you. You're walking through a season. And you've questioned a lot of things. And maybe you've even questioned your walk with God. I'm here to encourage you. God sees you. He sees you. And if that's you, I just I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Amen. 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 God, I pray for those that lifted their hands. They're in a season. 
And they've questioned whether you see them. They, 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 God, I've, I can't believe the, the, all that's happening, all this, this, this stuff that's going around me, all this stuff that, that is, is, is functioning in my life, and I just don't know. And he's saying, Micah 6, 8 to you, walk humbly before your God. In other words, seek him. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. Not perfection, not a perfect life, not all having everything together, but the strength and the faith to walk through whatever season we walk through. Father, I pray that. That God, that we would seek you first. Because in you is is the answers that we need to life's struggles. Your presence gives us the purpose and the drive to walk through the struggles to kick the addictions, to let loose the things that are holding us back. Faith in you allows us to walk through the seasons where medical issues and and struggles take hold of us and we don't know how to because we can't solve them and so we just have to lean in and allow you and people around us to carry us and to, to help us walk through this. And so God, help us to keep the faith. Help us to keep the faith, oh God. That when we need to, we circle back and we, we remember why we first fell in love with you. To carry us through the seasons that we struggle in. Knowing that it's preparing us for the next. And then God, as we live this life out in the world that we live in, God, help us to love people like you love them. Help us to see them the way that you see them. Holy Spirit, I pray for your eyes and your heart as we walk into this world that we would care for people. It doesn't mean that everybody is our best friend. It doesn't mean that everybody um, has a, a great relationship. It just means that we are not going to treat them and label them the way the world has. We are going to love kindness and walk in justice treating the people with God's heart the way that we would want to be treated, showing up and showing Jesus to the world. I pray this over us this morning, and I thank you for who you are, God. Go and make our week a week of opportunities and of purpose as we live it out, Father. We love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. I thank you for those that are financially faithful to the house, that we're able to do things like trick-or-treat on the trace where we're able to do things like feeding the, the high school football team this last week constantly showing up and showing off your love in unique and practical ways bless those who are financially faithful encourage us to trust you in Jesus name we pray amen Amen. We love you guys. Next week at the movies, I hope you come ready. Uh, Bring somebody with you because I promise you it's going to be a 